Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. It is Bach Week this week on the Coffee Hour. We're having probably too much fun than we should have in one week because we get to talk with all of these musicians about JS Bach, and it's been super fun. I think you just like saying Bach Week. I do, kind of. It's <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. We do have five episodes in this series as well. So if you have not listened to the rest of them, you should go to kfuo.org slash the coffee hour and find the other four episodes of Bach Week because they're all different. We're covering a wide aspect of different things. As you'll see today, This we're going to get a little in, into the weeds again today, uh, but it's going to be super fun. Joining us in studio today is Matthew Gerhardt, cantor-elect at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. Today we are unpacking the Orgelbuchlein. So, just from that title alone... This is why Sarah does the introductions. Strap in. This is going to be great. So, (laughs) before we even uh, start talking about the actual music, what is the Orgelbuchlein? Well, that translates literally to Little Organ Book. And so it's it's exactly what it says. It's, it's a little book of chorale preludes for organ. Uh, Bach, as you know, was a, well known as an organist in his lifetime and, and an organ examiner. And even though that wasn't always the primary duty that he had in his positions, it was an important part of his musical career. So the Orgel Buchlein was written sort of in the middle of his career, probably sometime between 1708 and 1717 when he was in Weimar. And he did revise some things later. He reused some earlier material. That's pretty typical for Bach to do that sort of a process with his compositions. Um, Overall, this is a collection, as we know it today, of 46 chorale preludes. Um, Originally, this is really interesting, he planned for 164 of them. And to start out this project, he took a a book and he lined out for 164. He drew the lines in for all of the staves. (laughs) And so the, the manuscript is actually not completed. He only completed 46 in his entire career. Other projects came to the fore. He changed positions, and so it was less important to finish it. But it follows the church year in in the arrangement of chorales. Not necessarily any particular hymnal, but but the church year, and then there are some general hymns and some catechism hymns, exactly what you'd expect from a Lutheran church musician. (laughs) So... When when I contacted you and said we're doing Bach Week and <laughs> you're one of the experts we want to talk to about Bach oh, and, and I said what do you want to talk about and <laughs> and and you particularly chose the little organ book. Um, do you like how I skipped the German yes, word? Yes, totally just skipped the German. <laughs> skipped, went right I to the it. English. <laughs> why did you why did you choose this as the topic for today? Well, I think this is an important collection in terms of Bach's output. Um, they're shorter settings, and they were probably, well, it's difficult to know exactly what they were intended for, but there's probably um, a pedagogical aspect to all of this. And so a lot of organists learn the Orgelbuchlein pieces, not because they're easy, but because they're shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, no Bach is really truly easy. There's always so much to unpack. But there's also these these theological and, and musical connections that Bach weaves so tightly together. And I think it's probably of more than general interest than, say, a prelude and fugue even because of these connections to the 
to the church here in liturgical life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of them are, are very familiar because they're based on on hymn tunes. Uh, you could listen to the entire entirety of them, and you can probably pick out a majority of them. Probably, absolutely, I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. which makes it, it it's it's a nice thing to kind of just sit and listen to if you like listening to organ music, and uh, and just like quiz yourself on what you know if you're one of those people that likes to quiz yourself on what, on what hymns you know i don't know are you talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> just this like is I a saturday do. At the yeah. this Gulseth. is a saturday in the Golseth household yes <laughs> yes it is <laughs> so uh, matt tell us about uh what what, what are we going to find if we open this prelude book or we we find it on the internet and listen to it or we ask our uh, church musician to play through it for us what are we going to find you're going to find a number of short, usually between 50-second and two-minute pieces. Um, these are, like I say, probably, chor- they're called chorale preludes, probably used for preluding uh, before the chorale was sung, maybe not. We, It's really difficult to tell because we don't have an, an actual instruction. But you'll see these really short things that are really tightly composed. Oftentimes a, a fragment of the melody is used as um, material for the inner voices. And so you can pick up on both the melody that you were saying and also the accompaniment and how that all kind of fits together and, and makes a statement, mm-hmm. as it were. So let's talk about chorales. But before that, we have been referencing Bach all week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed that Bach has... I've never seen this with any other musicians, and maybe it's just my limited knowledge, but it has his own cataloging system. Like, all of his pieces are cataloged with this specific number. Why is he special and get this special cataloging system that the other musicians don't, this BWV number? You you have nailed it. It is because he has so many compositions. So if you'd like to hear the German, because I I you know, like to say this, Bach Werke Verzeichnis, just nice. the Bach catalog. You, you know, I practiced it. Um <laughs> But so the Bach catalog allows um, musicians and scholars to be able to pinpoint. So for like in the organ world, if you look at even the first um, chorale prelude in the Orgelbuchlein, Nun komm der Heidenheiland, Savior of the Nations Come, Bach wrote many settings just for organ of that, let alone at least two cantatas that I remember right offhand based on this tune. So by having the the BWV number, it tells the musician immediately which one it is. And no, I don't remember exactly how many BWV numbers there are right now. A large number. There's a lot of them. <laughs> I, I've noticed, yes. yes. I mean, yeah. The Just researching for this week. The <laughs> yes. numbers, I, I, I saw in the 600s. I don't know if I've seen much beyond that. There are up to, th- there are more than a thousand. Oh, okay. I don't know the exact number, but it's wow. more than a thousand. It's a lot. This is why we have a whole week dedicated this to is it. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely. And I actually didn't know what the BWB stood for. I've never actually researched that. I knew it stood for Bach, Bach something, but mm-hmm. that was impressive. All right, so you, you've mentioned the first one, uh, Nun komm der Heiden Highland. Uh, what else are we finding in, in here? Sure. So this, you'll, you'll recognize the melody, hopefully. It's a little bit disguised, but the, the accompaniment is based around the first four notes of the hymn tune, but in inversion. <laughs> so that's something to listen for. It's one of those Bach tricks that he often uses. Um, but it also, you have to follow along the text a little bit. So this is one of our hymns, Savior of the Nation Comes. And you hear it's mostly, this is sort of unique in that it's mostly in five voice texture, but there's one moment where you hear one note in the organ, and it's a B in the pedal. 
And if you don't know what the word is, it doesn't make sense. But it turns out the German word is wonder. Hmm. And so it's this moment where Bach sort of stops and focuses on the wonder of the incarnation. It's a really wonderful moment. That is so cool. Mm. All right. Ready to go on to the next piece? Yes. Okay. I'm going to attempt it. <laughs> Von Himmel kam der Engel Haschar. Very close. Vom Himmel kam der Engel Haschar. So this is close. from heaven came the angel host. And this is not a hymn in, in LSB and Lutheran service book. But I chose it specifically because it is so evocative. And the text itself is, an, is uh, the angels announcing Christ's birth to the shepherds and the joy associated with that. And you hear in this chorale prelude, this wonderful scalar motion ascending and descending, you hear the angels going up and down and, and this joy around the birth of Christ. It's a really wonderful Christmas piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that text available, like if, if we were to Google this and find that text? Yes, it would be. I don't have a specific source for you right now, but yes, if you were to Google this, you would be able to find it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, because some of these, obviously, the ones that aren't in LSB are you can't just like pull out your hymnal and look at them. But but I mean, we're talking about how the the text of these because their hymn preludes how the text uh, marries so well with the tune that having these texts um, it'll make a lot more sense probably. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. What's the next one on your list there? The next one is Indios Freude, India's Gladness. This is an LSB. In the Orgelbuchlein, this is actually in the New Year's Day section, which is not where we currently have it. And so I take the liberty of playing this at many times of year. And I, in fact, play this oftentimes at the end of funerals. Ah. Um, in thee is gladness, in, in joy and sadness. It's a really wonderful connection and a, and a joyous way to end a funeral. Um, this is unique in that this is the only chorale prelude in this collection in which the melody is not presented straight through. Hmm. In every other instance, the melody is presented straight through, and that's what makes them so short. But this one, Bach adds these joyful leaping motives, and and then um, shows the text through that, which is, like I say, unique to this one. Mm-hmm. And now the melody is running through my head. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As it should be. That one's a familiar one yeah. for me. Um, anything else about In Thee Is Gladness before we go on to the next one? All right. Um, let's see. Next one. Next on the list is, O Mensch, bewein dein Sünde groß. O man, lament your great sin or your grievous sin. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very famous one from the Orgelbuchlein. It's very long. But it's the text itself is another one that you should look up. It, it's about life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a very long text originally. And this is one of the few in, in Bach's works that have it as a tempo marking. Adagio assai, very slow. Hmm. And it's very, very meditative. Interestingly, it's in a major key. Um, and the melody itself is adorned. There's a lot of ornaments. It's very, very expressive, except in a couple of places in the text. And one of those is that he should be sacrificed for us. And the other place where the ornamentation stops is stretched out on the cross. There's these very poignant moments where the motion slows down, almost stops. And the listener's invited to meditate on those uh, texts. And in, a, in contrast to this very, very ornamented melody line, there's a very simple accompaniment underneath it. So that really allows the melody to be the expressiveness of this piece. Mm-hmm. And you say this one's really long, it's because it's five minutes instead of <laughs> only <Yes>. one or two. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that's also a question of like, 
What does very slow mean in Bach terms? Mm. This is an interpretive question, of course, too. Sure. Huh. Who knows? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we have uh, a lot more from the Orgelbuchlein to talk about the, uh, during Bach week, but we have to take a quick break, unfortunately. Uh, but we have Matt Gerhardt joining us in the studio to talk through uh, these organ preludes. Uh, we, will, we will cover more of this when we come back from our break. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Goldseth. I'm Andy Bates. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. It is Bach Week on KFUO Radio on the Coffee Hour. Uh, You're probably hearing extra Bach this week if you listen to all of our sacred music. If you're listening during the 10 o'clock hour, yes, I'm like just packing it full of Bach. As much as you can find, which is hard to narrow it down to just uh, a few half hours worth Mm -hmm. during one week. Uh, So much music from J.S. Bach. We're having a lot of fun discussing different elements of his life and his work. Joining us today is Matt Gerhardt to talk through the Orgelbuchlein, um, these great hymn preludes. And there are a lot of them. We're not actually going to talk about all 47 of them because we would be here for the rest of the day. Um, But... But we're we're discussing some of the the highlights of these organ preludes, and we've talked about several of them. Uh, which one do you want to talk about next? Well, if we were in Lent before with the Omensch Bavine, we probably best get to Easter and <laughs> Christ Jesus Lay in Death Strong Bands. I yes. this is one of those preludes I I play every Easter mm-hmm. and have for a long time. It's a great piece. Interestingly, this one's in a minor key as opposed to the previous, the Lenten Chorale Prelude, which is in a major key. It's <laughs> just a difference in how we think about music from how Bach did. Mm-hmm. But it's still a joyful and jubilant setting. It's, it's perfect for almost any Sunday of Easter, actually, even Easter Day. Um, it has these descending motives passing, that pass through all the voices. These voices just dance around each other. And it's a very victorious sound. But there's also room, Bach leaves room in, in this in this chorale prelude for these musical em- elements for your own the listener's own interpretation of them, which is really interesting, actually, that there's that much sort of room to think about what these really sound like and what they mean. Mm-hmm. I don't think we gave the name in German yet. Oh, Christlag in Todesbanden. It's my favorite mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Hands down. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> my favorite Easter hymn too though. <laughs> well, it as it should be. Uh, right, yes. I know. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about it being in a minor key in, in, in contrast to the the previous Lenten piece in a major key, uh, slightly different than what we might expect today. But uh, tell us more about this musically. Right. So this is one of those experiments I oftentimes do when I'm teaching, especially children, because we have in our culture this idea that minor key means sad, mm-hmm. major key mm-hmm. means happy. But that's actually a f- more recent construct than, than is 
than we normally think. We would just assume it's always been that way, but that's not the case. And in fact, if you look at some of the older chants from music history too, mm-hmm. you you find that the chants in minor keys are oftentimes, or minor modes, are oftentimes for the Easter season. And so Bach's just continuing that tradition of of these things. And it's and for him, oftentimes motives and keys had meanings that we don't always know exactly, or we have to do more research to find out exactly what it means. And so this this mode is a, is a powerful and victorious mode, even though at first glance to us it does sound sad. Mm-hmm. This shows up a lot in our hymnal from our, from our much older hymnody. A lot of them, they sound like they're not very happy, um, but that was just that was the way that they were written at that time, and those Absolutely. were the, the strong and powerful uh, hymns. Those are the ones that, that, that have those, those more minor-sounding modes. Now, you mentioned mode. What is a mode versus, um, a, versus major yes, or minor? <laughs> um, that's just a, a spe- specific musical distinction. Um, a mode is not necessarily... Um, a minor key or a major key. Minor and major are modes. Sometimes there's a few notes that are different, just a few intervals that fall in different places. That's what makes the modes different. Mm-hmm. I just know there's some people that will <laughs> will say, hey, you didn't talk about what a mode is. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so we're in Easter now. Where are we going to uh, next in the church here? Well, next in the church here, I think we should head to Pentecost. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. This is a really interesting prelude. It's also fairly short, and it's the only Pentecost chorale prelude in the Orgelbuchlein. I do like mm-hmm. to use this at Pentecost, too, at least at some point, even though it's short. This is an interesting one because I do know f- for a fact that he reused this material in a longer chorale prelude that I also often play for Pentecost. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting is how he uses the pedal in this. Mm-hmm. And the pedal is on the, the third eighth note of every beat, which is very, very strange. It, it alm- is almost disconcerting when you hear this little pedal <laughs> accents coming throughout the piece. But it also drives the music forward, almost like the, the spirit driving the gospel out into the world. It's huh. really amazing. That's really cool. I'm just taking that in for a moment. I know, I'm yeah. trying to like hear it in my head, but <laughs> I need to go listen to that one. <laughs> right, any, anything else about this one musically or um, that, that you'd like to unpack? Uh, sure. Um, in spite of the pedal being this little sort mm-hmm. of punch on on the offbeat, as it were, the other it's still in four voices, really. So fairly standard like that, but with ornament. And the it's once again one of those very tight motivic settings for the accompaniment. That's it's all very very tightly composed, which is really helps I think the listener grab onto things and makes the the offbeat pedal just a little bit less disconcerting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got Pentecost now, mm-hmm. and then we have the long season of Trinity. Yes. What what have we got during Trinity? There's actually quite a bit in the Orgelbuch line for that, although this is the portion that he really didn't complete. He A lot of the church year is pretty well complete based on how he laid it out. Mm-hmm. But as you get into the Trinity season, that, that season after Pentecost, there, there those these are where the gaps occur, where mm-hmm. there's just a lot of blank pages, and you wonder, what might he have written? Mm-hmm. But I thought of talking, this is a very famous one, Ich ruf zu dir, Herr Jesu Christ, I call to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very, very famous one. It's been reorchestrated a number of times. There might, you might have heard an orchestral version of this, not just the organ version. Um, and so it, this becomes one of the best-known pieces in the Orgelbuchlein, just in the world at large. But it's also one of the most unusual in that it's only in three voices. It's a trio setting. Hmm. 
So you have the melody, you have an inner voice, which is mostly broken chords, and then a gently pulsating pedal line underneath. Now, like we talked about before, the melody's pretty ornamented, but then the ornamentation stops partway through. So then, as a performer, I ask myself the question, does that mean that this is a teaching moment and I'm supposed to add ornaments that are in the style that went before? Or is this expressive of the text? And I change my mind based on the day. I've played it many different ways. And I don't have a good answer for that. And doubtless you will receive phone calls saying, no, he's wrong. He should do it this way. But I haven't made up my mind yet. You're allowed. It's all right. Uh, we'll permit it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, what else would you like for us to know about the this, uh, I called to you, Lord Jesus Christ? So one of the important things about this, and this is another hymn that's not in Lutheran service book, is um, that the text is it's a prayer in time of trial or despair. So that's, that's important to know about this. This is the affect that Bach is really working to, to portray in this setting. And it's not all despair. There's also sort of hope in the way it ends, too. So this is not... This is a very Lutheran um, treatment of, of the concept of despair. There, there, is, there is this trial in our life, but we hope for things yet to come. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's so great how, uh, how he uses those texts uh, and, and kind of carries all of that through into the music. And you, kinda, you, can, you can feel it because it's, mm-hmm. it's the music and the text together, uh, getting all of the, those words um, ingrained in you when you when you're able to to listen to the music and and think through the text as well. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got one more on on our list. One not more on our point. list. Right. There's a lot more that we <laughs> could unpack, but this last one is "Wer nur den lieben Gott lasst warten, if thou but trust in God to guide thee." This is one of our uh, hymns in LSB, and it's in the hope and comfort section. So it it also sort of ties in with the Ikwuf Sudia. Um, this one, however, the melody is unornamented. It's presented fairly straightforward. And the accompaniment's in these parallel thirds and sixths, so it's a very tight, another tight motivic accompaniment. And it's in a pattern that sort of resembles um, poetic patterns. It's called an anapest. It's yump up bum. All of the, that. And it, this is, um, it's symbolizing joy or joyful trust. Again, we have a minor key even though it's a hymn of hope. Again, as we talked about before, the same sort of um, idea that this is, this is a strong setting of hope. Now, when I look at this piece, and I've performed this several different ways too, I think, what should the organ sound like for this one? Is it loud? Is it, is it reflective? How, how is this, this hopeful sort of sound best carried? And again, I make different decisions based on when I play it, um, how I'm feeling that day. What you I, had for breakfast. That, right, exactly. <laughs> how much coffee you've had. But there are, there are different <laughs> ways. Yes, exactly. This is coffee hour after all. Um, but there are different ways that I think are still musically effective, and as a performer you have to make those decisions. And that's one of the joys of even these short settings like this, being able to make those decisions and knowing that you will come back and probably make other decisions the next time around. <laughs> How do you go about that uh, when you have a hymn that you, you know the text, so the text is playing into how you interpret the music? How do you actually go about interpreting all of these different, and not just Bach, but, but any of these preludes that you play that, that have these texts? What is, do you have a process for going through that? Oh, that's a really good question. 
Um, I'm not sure process as much as, like you say, it's it's that the interpretation flows from the text and not from, not from something else or just the music. I think that that's the mark of a good chorale prelude is that the music and the text are are one, mm-hmm. and so the music helps to open up these other dimensions of the text, these deeper theological dimensions, that the text alone, as poetry, might not necessarily have. Mm-hmm. I have learned a ton in our time together today. And I'm just curious, as as a, as a church musician, um, in the ways that you're given to serve at St. Paul's, do you get to teach about Bach and, and other um, great figures of, of church music history, um, either to adults or children? I mean, do you get to do this on a regular basis? <laughs> yes, um, probably not enough, but yes, <laughs> we do. Um, especially in the school, I'm... Um, Mark Bender, who's just retiring, has spent a lot of time teaching the children about, especially Bach, but other composers like this. And I'm I'm looking forward to carrying on that tradition as, in in the next years to come. Mm-hmm. It's very important. I mean, I think it's really important. I, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you do too. That, that teaching uh, future generations about all of this uh, this legacy of church music that we have for hundreds and hundreds of years that uh, that lives in our hymnal and in, in these texts and melodies that we have. It's uh, it's a really, really cool thing to be able to pass that on. Right. And the music helps to internalize the theology in, in very deep ways. And I think that that's the importance of teaching these things, especially to our children, but also to adults, and the different dimensions that music can bring to these wonderful texts and to help them live in us. Mm-hmm. Well, we've had a blast learning about just a small part of the Orgelbuch line today. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us in studio today during Bach Week. Thank you. You can always find the other four episodes of this little series that we've had, Andreas Bach, at kfuo.org slash the coffee hour. Make sure you check those out. Learn about all different kinds of aspects of Bach's work and life and service to the church. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.